Hello and what's this week's Sport Zone on Stalford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson and we're here talking all things sport in Stalford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside from The Devil in Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sport in Stalford and beyond? Yeah, certainly I'm Rob. Yeah, really exciting week. There's been, been loads going on at the weekend and uh, quite a lot for us to talk about. So yeah, it should be a good show. Yeah, lots to go out and we'll start with the football, uh, Paul and Manchester City. Uh, two games for them uh, last week, a 3-1 win against uh, Arsenal, which was the uh, the big game of the week. And then obviously dropping points away at Nottingham Forest. Uh, you know, disappointing for Pep Guardiola's men. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the Wednesday game was a terrific performance, wasn't it, at Arsenal? And, uh, you know, a real real sort of humdinging tie between the two sides, you know, two, two top-of-the-table teams. And I thought City dominated, you know, for, for large periods of the game. Arsenal obviously got back into it, but then they showed, showed the class towards the end there. And, you know, a 3-1 victory away from home, um, it really laid a marker down. They took the top spot off Arsenal, didn't they, for the first time in, in quite a long time. And then he was hoping to back that up at the weekend. And, you know, going to Nottingham Forest, you know, the city ground's a tough place to go, but you know, Forest for me have done well. I mean, for a side that you know, a lot longer ago, they looked in the in um, they were going to fall through the trap door again. They looked dead and buried, didn't they? But um, they've turned things round. They've had a few good wins and and they've climbed up the table. And no, I don't think they're safe yet, but they they've got a bit of a buffer above the teams below them, so they had a bit of confidence and, and they were tough to beat. And Frustrating game for City, really. I know Pep Guardiola was uh, was really frustrated, wasn't he? With it, he got, I think he got a yellow card, didn't he, and, uh, and what have you. But but no, it's not what City wanted because I mean, Arsenal picked up points, didn't they? So they've, they've they've lost the top spot again. So yeah, you know, with the firepower that City have got, you'd have expected them to to, to get through that game and get the three points. How much of a psychological advantage do City have now? Obviously, beating Arsenal at the Emirates, their closest rivals in the title race, is a pivotal moment. Do you think it's going to turn the title race in City's favour? No, because I don't. Because if, if if Arsenal were to win every game now to the end of the season, and City were to win every game now to the end of the season, Arsenal would win the league because they've got the game in hand. And I don't think they play each other again now. So, so City... Are not in the driving seat anymore. You know, it's it's on Arsenal. Really. You know, you're looking for Arsenal to make a mistake and and drop points. So um, I know from from me, City. You know, they seem to be using this this sort of FIFA thing, this um, you know, this financial sort of stuff as a bit of a siege mentality, aren't they? And us, us, us against them sort of thing. But I think that that's definitely took their eye off the ball. You know, with, with stuff that's been going in the media and the, the the press sort of coverage of that. I think. But for Pep now, he's got to keep his players away from that and, uh, and and just concentrate on the competitions they're in. Obviously, they've got Champions League coming up this week as well at Leipzig. So that's another distraction for them. But they've got the squad, haven't they? They've got a big squad, loads of talent in that squad and, and they should be able to cope, you know, with, um, with these matches that they've got. But I don't know. At the moment, I think Haaland... He's one of the best strikers in the world. Isn't he? Probably one of the best strikers in the Premiership. There's not many better than him. And he doesn't seem to get he seems wasted at the moment at City. He doesn't seem to get the chances and the service and the opportunities that he needs. He, he seems a wasted talent there for me. So, uh, so yeah, there's there's something not quite right at the moment at City. They're a bit hit and miss, aren't they? And um, you know, if they are to win the Premiership again, they need to they need to iron these uh, these little flaws out. Yeah, I think the Haaland problem is the fact that playing a centre forward, an out and out centre forward. You have to play to him, and the way Man City play, uh, they like to pop the ball about. Everyone interchanges, don't they? Positional wise, and that drags defenders out of position. And 
with Haaland up front, you can't do that. So it's a bit of a difficult thing for Pep Guardiola to, to fit him in the system, which Man City have, but be different enough for teams to worry. And it's it really is a conundrum. Like you say, last season, they ran away with the league, didn't they, Man City, really? Uh, but this season, they are struggling. And it kind of shows, you know, has Pep overthought? He did say previously, in, I think last week, that he said that he might overthink things. And is this a, a case in point that he's bought Haaland did? He thinks he can change the system enough to feed Haaland, but it's not quite working out. Yeah, it, it begs the question. It makes you wonder, really, if, if Haaland was at Old Trafford down the road, would things be different? He probably would. I think he'd probably score more goals mm. in the system United play. So it's a shame, really, I suppose, in that sort of uh, thing. But no, it, for me, he's a cracking player. But like, I don't think he fits in the system at City. He's the sort of player that needs like direct. He needs crosses firing into him. He's a target man, isn't he? I mean, obviously, he's a bit more than a target man. But that sort of player, isn't it, that, that, that wants to get the goals... Um, so we'll have to see how it plays out towards the end of the season it's going to be a fascinating run I mean you look at it now and we're approaching the end of February and you think now we'll be looking at the running but we're not really there's still you know just less than half a season to go isn't there's an awful lot of games left to be played and you know there's a, there's some talented teams up there in the Premiership isn't there at the moment and uh, you know some some sides that are you look at the table and there's there's some sides up there that you are not the biggest names in the world are they like the Brightons and Fulhams and Brentford and you know they're, they're up there challenging as well so it's, it's been a it's been a strange season so far really especially with the, the World Cup break as well so um, so you know Manchester City is still in it there's no doubt about that I think it's two points now the difference and the game in hand as well but Arsenal have got to win those games in hand and they've got so um, so I think there's an awful lot more twists and turns and I don't think Manchester United are completely out of it as well at the moment you know they're, they're still in with a shout obviously an outside chance but you know Ten Hag will be saying to his players just keep doing the business and keep picking the points up and you know we'll see where that takes us yeah, dropping points against Not Forest isn't a great idea for Pep Guardiola's men. Lots of chances, lots of pressure. Well, like you said, give away a, a, a loose goal at the end of the game. You drop two points and you open the door for Arsenal. That's what I mean, yeah. And, and, and Arsenal, you know, at the weekend, they had a, a tough game against Aston Villa, didn't they? And, um, you know, they just scraped it, didn't they, in, the, in stoppage time, I think, with two, two late goals and ended up winning it 4 to. I think, Villa were sort of pushing for an equaliser, weren't they? And uh, threw all their eggs in that basket, and Arsenal caught them on the break, didn't they? So, you know, Arsenal have picked up two point, uh, three points there, and that's that's a big win for them as well. And that's a psychological boost for them because they're back on top again, and they've got that game in hand. So, so that's going to be a psychological boost for them. But as I mentioned before, City have got the the Champions League to concentrate on this week now as well. So that's another bit of a distraction uh, to take them away from that. But it's going to be fascinating, Rob, to see how it all pans out. You know, between now and the end of the season. Yeah, and also obviously with City being investigated for financial irregularities by the Premier League, and it's that's probably another thing on the minds. Obviously, you know all the success they've had, and you know the Premier League seem to think there might be something wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, for me, I don't think they'll find anything. I mean, if Manchester City are the profe- you know, a very professional outfit, um, I'm pretty sure they'll have lawyers and people like that working on that. And you wouldn't have thought they'd have left themselves in wide open in a vulnerable position to to be caught out by something like that. If they are, if they have done, it's very, very unprofessional. So we'll have to wait and see again and, and see what happens with that. But no, it's it's a, it's a funny situation, isn't it, in football? I mean, we, me and you know in rugby league, don't we, about salary caps and things like that that have been brought in. And, you know, sometimes it, 
it, it's a difficult one. If you've got the money, to me, you should be allowed to spend it. I mean, why should ambitious clubs be sort of dragged down when they, they, they're trying to do well and win things? I know you've got to have some sort of draw a line somewhere, haven't you? But, you know, it does seem, seem strange because I think there's, there's other teams in the Premiership who've probably spent a lot more than Manchester City have spent over the last couple of years, haven't they? So, uh, so no, it's a, it is a funny one that. But no, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see how, how that all develops. But that's another distraction that probably Pep Guardiola and his men don't need. It's, it's something else to sort of muddy the waters, if you like. Yeah, Premier League is one of you know best leagues in the in the world, isn't it? And just talk of sort of Barcelona and and Real Madrid and top Italian clubs, you know, regurgitating this European, uh, you know, league. Paul and, and this talk obviously about the English clubs wanting you know maybe joining may not be joining but it's interesting obviously be being the Premier League and and having all this money and the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid you know the top of the top teams in that division but the rest of the division aren't up to that standard so over the years Real Madrid and Barcelona have been able to pick the best players off the other teams to feed them but now the money's not there for them to to do that and they're starting to struggle a bit yeah and I think the shoes on the other foot as well if Something was found on Manchester City, or they, they decided to take points off them, or do this and do that. You, you, you know, if you was the, the owner of Manchester City, you might think, well, forget it. Then we won't bother playing the Premiership anymore. We'll go and play in this European League if you're not going to let us, you know, you know, do our business here. So, you know, the Premier League's got to be careful as well. You don't want, you can't obviously let teams rule the roost and make the rules as they go along. But I think you've got a duty to to keep clubs happy and, and look after them as well. And you know, I think if a club's ambitious. They should be allowed to spend and bring players in. And for me, I don't think Manchester City have, you know, they've not dominated and bought trophies, have they? And won the Champions League, God knows how many times. They still, they still, they still see it to me. I, I still think they managed to sit. They still that vulnerable team that you know can draw at Nottingham Forest. There you go at the weekend. <laughs> so they're not invincible yet, are they? So, uh, so no, it's it's a tough situation that for City. And and yeah, I, I hope that there's no. I hope they're not guilty for it because it's you know it's dragging the, the club through the mud. A, a very proud historic club as well. So uh, I mean, you look at their support. As I was watching the program the other night on telly called um, "We're Not Really Here," it was about when Joe Royal took over. It was very interesting on Sky, and it was just just saying about when Joe came in and, and the, the Stoke game. They got relegated, and they were they were in that third division. And you know when they was in that, they were, they was really really struggling. I think there was a game when they played at Christmas time against Stoke where they actually sort of made the playoffs and we all know what happened in that playoff final. I mean, if they hadn't won that game, I don't think they would have ever got taken over and I don't think they'd have moved to the, to the Etihad where they are now. So, mm. you know, that's not that long ago, really. So, so yeah, a lot's changed, hasn't it, in Manchester City's history in the, in the, in the last few sort of last decade or so. And, and yeah, they've, they've had a real roller coaster ride up to now. Yep, uh, two away games uh, for Man City this week. Leipzig in the Champions League away and Bournemouth away. Uh, two tough games for Pep Guardiola's men. Obviously, they're going for that Champions League. The only one they haven't managed to win, but they do need to keep the chase on uh, Arsenal in the Premier League. Yeah, that's right. And and these teams in the Premiership now. I was looking at the table the other day, and you you look at it sometimes. And this is not no means being disrespectful at all. But you look at some of the teams there, like a Fulham, Brentford, Bournemouth. And um, you, you know Brighton, and these are teams that are, you don't really associate with top-flight English football, really. Do you? They, they sort of look like more like lower league teams. But having said that, they've cut the cloth, and these sides are really hard to beat. Now, you know, look at Brentford. I mean, they're they're a really good team. 
they played some really good football and they're, they they deservedly so to be at the top end of the table. Same with Fulham, and and Bournemouth's another tough place to go. So you know, going down there on the south coast, that won't be easy. That's another banana skin for Manchester City, um, and and that's following up on on a tough night, you know, in the week at Leipzig as well. So uh, this is where Pep's squad's going to get tested now, and yeah. um, it's going to be a difficult week for them. Two hard games. I think that's where the Premier League, the, the Premier League setup works because I like I say Brighton um, are able to keep their best players when previously previous years Man United might come in and, and take their best player or Liverpool might come in and take their best player and now with the Premier League having so much money involved in it these clubs are able to keep the talent and add to it so every game becomes a real competitive one which helps the league grow too. Do you know what I think the Premiership's become a lot more competitive over the last couple of years? Mm. Um, you used to find that the, the three teams that came up from the Championship used to... It was very hard if, if all three of them stayed up. It was usually like straight back down again, wasn't it? Whereas now, teams are coming up and, and they're proving us wrong, aren't they? Like, like Brentford. I mean, I watched their game against Liverpool a, a few weeks ago and they absolutely mullered Liverpool. And he played some fantastic football, and it was great to watch Brighton. The same Fulham, I think, have been excellent this season. Uh, if you look at Bournemouth, you look at Wolves. Obviously, Wolves have been up there before, but they've they've flirted with Championship, haven't they, for decades, really, and, and and been down there. So, and they've come back up and done well. Nottingham Forest doing well this time. So, it's it's been a real good season for promoted um, promoted team, doesn't it? Yes, it has, and obviously we love love it on the you know listening to it and watching the Premier League. It's a you know what a product it is, and, and you know the world stands and watches just open. Obviously, like you say, all clubs do it fairly and, and balance the books, and you know help the communities around them. That's the most important thing for me. Talking about the communities, around, let's talk Man United. Two games for them uh, this week. They drew two-two away uh, against Barcelona and beat Leicester three-nil in the Premier League. Um, Ten Hag's men still on the roll, chasing the likes of City and Arsenal. Yeah, certainly. I mean, that was that was a big game against Leicester. Um, Leicester have been showing signs of improvement, haven't they? And they? They had a good win away from home the other week. I think it was Villa they beat, and um, yeah, they're they're a tough side to beat. And to blow them away three goals to nil was just what what Ten Hag would have wanted after a, a you know a very entertaining game and, and a good draw. In, in Barcelona in the week, so they got Barcelona. I think again this this Thursday, haven't they? Old Trafford, uh, which will be another excellent game and, and one that I'm sure the supporters are, are looking forward to. Um, well, Salford are playing Thursday night, though, so people will be going to that, won't they? So <laughs> we'll have to tape United and watch it when they get home. Probably. So so yeah, but a good result for for, for for United. And as I said before, they've still got an outside chance, haven't they? In the Premiership, people might laugh at me when I say that, but you know, there's a lot of lot of games to, to, still to play, isn't there? A lot of cards still to be dealt. So. So, uh, so yeah, a 3-0 against Leicester I thought was an excellent result. Yeah, two more goals for Marcus Ratchford. 24 goals this season. Uh, Paul, you know, it's great. Obviously, you know, he's had troubles in the, in the past uh, not being able to find the net. But since Hentag's come in, uh, something's changed and now he, he can't stop scoring. Yeah, I think the mentality of the club has changed since Tenag has come in. I think they, they've really settled down. I think, you know, I don't know the guy really. I don't really know a lot about him, but... I think the players have really took to him, and you know, they, they play this, the, the football they play is like an honest brand of football now, and you know they don't seem to be those sort of prima donna players there anymore. They were causing bother. He seems to have, you know, got got a real good work ethic at the club now, 
Um, and once I wouldn't say Manchester United are the Manchester United that you know used to play under Ferguson, where they were feared by everybody and they were feared going to Old Trafford. But you're sort of getting that back a bit now, um, and that's the right direction to be going in. And and the way they played at home this season, as you mentioned, there, Marcus Rashford, they, they they they've got he's got the goals and they are starting to look a bit more like the United of all, which is which is good for the the, the fans and, and good for the good for the city as well. You know, we've had Manchester City dominating. We want to get Manchester United up there as well, don't we? And the the, the, the two Manchester clubs there challenging for the honours, I think it'd be great. Yeah. Uh, Jaden Sancho found the net as well. He's having a bit had a difficult period. He's coming back stronger, scored a few goals in the last few weeks. You know, he'd missed out for England in the World Cup, but he is a diamond of a player. Obviously coming from I think it was Dortmund, you know, but there was pressure on him, but he seems to have found a way to deal with that and now he's finding a way in that red shirt. Yeah, that's what I mean. And it's he's in good form and you know, we don't sometimes know where form goes, do we? Is it temporary or is it permanent? Nobody knows. Same with you're saying rugby league, isn't it? I mean, your form can just disappear overnight, but if you're confident and you, you, you're in a good place and, and you know, you've got faith in the manager, I think United owe a lot to Ten Hag. I think he's he's done really well and he, he seems to have, um, you know, the United supporters, the players, the city seem to have really taken to him and um, I think he's helping the players along the way. Yep, there's talk obviously of Glaze, the Glaze family selling Manchester United. This week, there was a soft deadline on people who were interested in buying the club and two names have, have popped up um, Paul, Jim Radcliffe a local uh, businessman uh, has dealings in football, cycling and F1 million, billions of pounds to his name and a Manchester United supporter so it would be interesting to see if he gets to, to buy the club obviously we, we know all about the, the Glazers and, and their business structure uh, around Manchester United but Hopefully, you know, if he does get an opportunity to purchase the club, uh, he can take it forward. Yeah, I don't know a lot about Jim Radcliffe, but I know he's, from what I've heard, he's a very wealthy man um, and obviously local man as well, supports the club. So uh, that that would be a match made in heaven, really, would have thought, wouldn't you? So it uh, be interesting to see how that, that pans out because you have the Glazers, you know, you love them or hate them or whatever, but they, they do seem to have piled a lot of debt on and, Things like that when they when they came in, and I'm not sort of keen on the model that they run. So yeah, yeah, I think it'd be it'd be exciting times. I, do, I think their days are probably numbered now at United, aren't they? To be honest with you, so we'll have to see how how that one uh, you know works out. But I think you know uh, Jim Radcliffe would be uh, would be the, the appointment that probably the, the supporters would want with him being a United supporter. Yeah, there is also a shake. Jazin bin Hamid Al Tani uh, from Qatar. He's a banker uh, with over. I think it's £100 billion pounds in the bank. Um, you know, interested in buying Man United as well. Um, obviously, we know the success uh, Man City have had with overseas uh, investment. Um, could he be the man to take Man United to the next level? Yeah, possibly. I mean, it's all about money these days, isn't it? You mm. know, sport, top-level sport. And, yeah, look at the Manchester City, the, the, the money that's that's gone in there and, you know, the, the money that's gone in to develop that sort of area of Manchester, well, the East Manchester area where the, where the ground is was... Not much there was, as you know, a couple of decades ago, and now they've got their training academy there, and you know it's a totally different place now, isn't it? So they've they've invested big time, haven't they? And uh, you know, reap the rewards for it as well, and the, the trophies that they've won and have gone sort of in, what should we say, 20, 20 odd years from being the the sort of rubbing rags and sort of laughing stock of English football to to probably the best side in English football, haven't they? It's been an amazing sort of journey, really, and turnaround in a 
relatively short space of time. So if United to it was to get somebody else like that, you know, the the two clubs could be. Well, they could be um, the, the giants again of, of, of England, couldn't they? And take some catching, then it could be City and United every year, dominating yeah. for the we like Celtic and Rangers in Scotland. <laughs> but I think it's that, that's what it is. I think, Paul, I think it's behind the scenes that needs sort of the, the changing ground, uh, changing uh, training area, the, the Old Trafford sort of stadium that, that needs upgrading as well. Uh, there's, there's talk of investment in the squad as well. So it's not just you know, money on the players on the field that Manchester United need. They need the investment and the infrastructure building behind the scenes, which seems to have either gone off or have been, uh, you know, cut out uh, in the last sort of 10 years that Glazer's been involved. Yeah, I mean, you think back sort of to the 80s, 90s, Manchester United were were the side, weren't they, and with the facilities and they always seem to be doing work on the stadium. And then, you know, the North Stand was... You know, was was an ongoing thing, wasn't it? And you know, best stadium in the country, I think, at one stage. But that seems to have just been been left now, hasn't it? And you've got to keep updating these things, haven't you? And I don't think they have for a, for a while now. They've probably left things not to to rack and ruin. It's still a top stadium, but I think yeah, it probably does need you know modernising and, and things like that, doing like the the training facilities and things like that. They're, they're important things, aren't they? Um. So um. So yeah, obviously with new investment and that, I'm I'm pretty sure they'd be looking at things like that. Yeah, there's talk of five billion that the is the the asking price. Paul, can we can we count you out of that? <laughs> We've only got five five hundred pounds. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's it's telephone numbers, isn't it? You, you think about football, and like you just mentioned there, when you mentioned that fella from Qatar, and he, he's a banker, and he's got did he say hundred billion in the yeah, bank? Yeah. Where's he got hundred billion pound from? How do people get that sort of money? It's, I don't know. I just try and do a bit of overtime to keep my head above water. But, you know, 100, mil- 100 billion in the bank, it's uh, it's unreal, isn't it? Mm. So let's put that down. Paul Whiteside, <laughs> shot arms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking about United's fixtures this week, they've got Barcelona uh, on a, on Thursday night, clashing with the Sulphur Devils uh, fixture, unfortunately. But it will be a cracker of a game. And then they play Newcastle in the EFL Cup final at Wembley. You know, two iconic games for Ten Hag to, to, to manoeuvre yeah I didn't realise it was the League Cup final next weekend so mm. that's going to be a cracking game as well you know Newcastle you know, they were beaten at the weekend weren't they against Liverpool but they, they've played well this season haven't they and you know, the last couple of weeks I think they've, they've dropped off a bit haven't they they've struggled they've got a few draws goals have dried up a bit so could be the perfect time for United to play uh, Newcastle now so I mean, when was the last time Newcastle United won a trophy in the top flight it's a long long time ago yeah. isn't it so uh, they've not won anything it's a bit like Solver they've not won anything for donkey's years have they so that, that, that should be a good game that really exciting game you know two Two sides of a bit of history between each other, and uh, yeah, looking forward to that. But the Barcelona games, uh, you know, called the hallmarks of a classic, hasn't it? You know, two-two from the first leg, so uh, that's going to be a be, be a really good night. Yeah, let's touch on Salford City. They played Swindon at home and lost two-one, undefeated in eight games at home going into this contest, Paul. But unfortunately, after going in front through a goal from Ryan uh, Watson, Swindon hit back and took the points. Yeah, you know, Swindon aren't a bad side, are they? But that, that's a disappointment. You know, they've been playing so well at home and you, you're picking points up and you're unbeaten then to, to actually drop that record and, and, and lose the points. It's inconsistency now, really, isn't it, for Solver? They've, they've got to keep plugging away. There's, there's still quite a bit of the season to go, but 
you know, he drifted away a bit from the, the automatic places. I'm not too sure where they are in the league table now, but he's getting a bit compact isn't it, in around the playoffs in the, in League Two. You know, there's an awful lot of games to be played, but it's going to be tough now towards the end of the season to, to, to get up there and, and get that promotion. So the, your home games are the ones you need to win. Yeah, seventh in the league, still in the playoffs, got Mansfield away this weekend. So important to get a result there. Yeah, yeah, of course it is. Yeah, I mean, you're just hanging on there, aren't you, in seventh place? I think it's three teams go up, four teams go up, isn't it, from that league? Uh, so if you finish seventh, you're in the playoffs, aren't you? So, but that's not going to be easy in the playoffs there. So, yeah, Mansfield away will be another tough game. I don't think there's any easy games in that league. You know, I think Rochdale, the bottom side at the moment, who are really, really struggling, aren't they? But when Salford played Rochdale, I think that was a, t- a tough game. But we didn't, they didn't sort of uh, walk over Rochdale. So I think any side you play in that league, it's there's no gimme games. I think you've got to work for the points every every week you play. And, you know, teams target Salford and see Salford as the money boys, don't they? And, and raise the game against them. And, and that's just the nature of the beast. So it, they're not going to be any easy wins. They're going to have to work hard to get in that playoffs or, or, or work even harder to get promotion. So it's going to be a tough season. Yep. So that's all the football chat. And now we've got a big interview on the on March 11th, English MMA star Walter Gahadza will fight for the Hexen MMA Championship belt in France. Sports Zone's own James Sweetnam spoke to him ahead of the biggest fight of his life. Well, Walter, thank you for joining me. You've got an absolutely massive fight coming up at Hexagon MMA in just a few weeks' time. But before we get into that, I want to look through your whole career. And originally, before moving to London, you grew up in Zimbabwe. So could you talk me through that? Yes, I was uh, I was born in Zimbabwe, Lawayo, uh, 18th of November 1987, to be precise. Uh, moved over to the UK at 14 years old and uh, attended school for from there and uh, that was my life you know uh, the rest has just been it's been a, a, a roller coaster now I'm, I'm up for a world title so so yeah so growing up in Zimbabwe do you have any memories in particular that you think perhaps crafted you into the fact you are today yeah absolutely I mean um, uh, you know, I, I, I've got uh, two older brothers so um so we were we used to go out a lot and uh you know play and play uh football was a uh, a very f- uh, popular you know popular um, sport out there so um it was always r- surrounded by sport you know um and that always inspired me to to want to do something um sport related um as far as you know as far as um fighting uh Fighting was something that kind of, you know, uh, that I kind of come, came across across with uh, moving over here. Um, but yeah, I've always been into into sport. Uh, I like uh, athletics. I used to sprint. I used to I used to do a hundred meter sprint um, and play football, of course, as I said. So, and fight, fighting was something that that really. Um, that really translated well for um, for both the sports, if you know what I mean. Like uh, because uh, the sprint sprinting is a uh, sh- uh, sh- short twitch, and you have to really be you know you have to really be explosive. And uh, f- football uh, was something that I uh, I really worked on my kicking techniques and and, and my coordination and, and footwork. So so it really it really Build me up to 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 um to start MMA. 
So when you moved over here, you already obviously excelled in everything athletic, but did you struggle to adapt to lifestyle in the UK? Was it a difficult transition? Um, no, it was, it was, I mean, there was, um, there was a couple of hurdles, you know, of course, um, uh, to start was the accent, you know, the, the, I came from Zimbabwe and straight to South Indon Sea. So, you know, uh, (laughs) Essex, South Indon Sea, so like, uh, the dialect, the accent, uh, I could, I could speak English. I could write English very well and up to this day, of course, but. You know, uh, the the line, the accent, yeah, like, that was probably the toughest thing, really, other, other than that, you know. Oh, and the weather. <laughs> uh, that's uh, the first time I experienced snow was obviously over here. And, and yeah, like, it, it wasn't, I managed to adapt. Uh, that's something that I do pretty well. Um, and it translates well to, to MMA as well. Um certain situations you just have to adapt and, and that's what I did obviously considerably colder over here that, that goes without saying but you mentioned that uh, you utilised uh, footballers to improve your kicking game I imagine almost embodying the likes of Eric Cantona with his, his Kung Fu kick but looking back now <laughs> can't forget that one <laughs> I know that was an incredible moment up there with the greatest kicks in football history but yes, um, yes. almost almost up there with the sort of stuff we see in MMA. But yes. when you started training, how did you adapt to that? And what was life like starting in MMA, which is essentially a new sport here? Oh, it was pretty rough, you know. Um, it, it showed me that um, it's not about uh, the weight class. You know, the weight is really nothing to do with uh, with combat. It's, uh, it's all about uh, IQ and obviously uh, technique. So the first time that I ever set foot into an MMA gym, I I grappled with a 15-year-old. Uh, I was I was about 14 stone, should we say, 14 stone, pretty muscly. Um, the young man was about 10, 10, 11 stone, and I got put in a submission, and and that was, you know, that was really a clear sign that I I I need to learn uh, the art. And uh, and it just made me appreciate it. So I went back the next week, and uh, and the rest the rest is just you know as I said, it's led up to to this world title, you know. So yeah, I certainly feel your pain. My younger brother uh, does jujitsu. He's a black belt, and he's several years younger than me, but he can still submit me. And it's incredibly frustrating. It's a painful thing. It's it's not good at all. <laughs> you should put some gloves on then. Gloves oh, and no, uh, I think he beat me there as well. Uh, I keep oh, trying my best, but uh, he's getting the better of me at the moment. Oh. But you never know. Maybe in the future, yeah, well, I'll. Uh, maybe that's that's a, that's a sign saying maybe you know get on get on the mats and and you learn you learn so much about yourself. You know, it, it, the the sport has really uh, taken me to to different heights and and been in rooms with certain. Uh, with some of the uh, best, best, you know, best uh, representative and tips in MMA. So, so yeah, maybe you should try, try, check, check it out. <laughs> try it out. I've tried. I've done a, I've must, done a couple of interviews. Must be gyms uh, close to you, of course. Sir. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I've done a couple of intercoms, and it's enjoyable and all that sort of stuff. I just want to want to do it a little bit more. But you mentioned there that you've met some of the biggest names in MMA, and that's true because I saw on your Instagram that you met Judge Saint Pierre. And could you tell yes. me what that experience was like? It was, um, so I went and uh, experienced Canada 
I've always wanted to train at a tri-star gym uh, in Canada and work with, you know, of course, uh, Firaz Zahabi, who's one of the, the best coaches in in, in, in MMA. Um, and George St-Pierre came and walked in, uh, started working out like every single athlete that was on the mats and uh, and got a chance to, you know, uh, have a conversation with him and, and, you know, do the whole fanboy and take the picture and whatnot and you know I look up to you and and, and cause he, he built a, a really solid foundation for MMA so yeah it was a great it was a great experience um really humble guy yeah and and a real pure martial artist so so yeah it was great <laughs> I can imagine so and looking at the early portion of your career you did something that so few fighters do and you built up a 60-0 record which is almost unheard of in the game of mixed martial arts mm. yes I was um I was very hungry. I was. Uh, I still am, of course. I still am, uh, of course. I'm still very competitive, but I wanted to just keep competing. Uh, competition is uh, is something that's really, you know, really uh, built in me, and I believe it should be in in many people's, you know, many people naturally. But competition is uh, something that I do very well. Um, and yeah, I've managed to build build up this 16-0 record. And uh, you never learn from uh, your wins. You learn more. F- you learn more from when um, when things don't really go your way. So yeah, it was great. It was great to write that 16 16-0 <laughs> uh, 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 record. Till you know, till of course, um, there's always someone. There's always uh, an athlete out there who's. You know, it's going to be working hard to try and um, try and take that away from me. So from that point on, you end up fighting in Bellator. So can you talk me through your experience there all the way to your most recent win in EMC uh, 10? Yes, so um, so I had, a, I had a five fights for, Bell- for Bellator. I represented Bellator five, five times. Uh, it's a great experience. Um, major promotion, something I always uh, envisioned myself, you know, uh, uh, being, being a part of. Uh, so yeah, I had a great, I had a lot of experience at Bellator. Great experience and uh, and some memories that you know money definitely can't buy. You know, uh, gave me gave me the the IQ that I have uh, now uh, and the experience that I had on EMC too was uh, was some great, 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 great bouts. Uh, tough, you know, tough, all tough individuals. Uh, I've I've got, um, gone up against, especially, you know, Bellator. That's the best, that's the best in the world. That's some of the best guys in the, in the world. So, so yeah, I managed to build up a lot of, um, a lot of experience there. A great experience too. So. And after all this time, you're now going into what is probably the biggest fight of your career. There's a hexagon MMA world championship on the line. You find it internationally in France, and this is a massive moment in your career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, as far as massive, I, I think, uh, I think you know, uh, I've achieved some some great things uh, up to now. Um, when I when I reached, uh, say for example, uh, Bama, Bama was one of the the best shows in the UK, if not uh, one of if not many uh, favorite guys, uh, you know, favorite people's shows in the UK, and I. I got signed to that promotion. So, you know, then it went to Bellator, then, you know, an EMC, then, you know, now it's a, it's a world title uh, on the line. So 
these experiences aren't you know not I don't get flustered with 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 them with uh, them anymore because you know I've been in it for a long time I've uh, I've, I've experienced enough and and had uh, I not experienced those moments I wouldn't be ready for I, I wouldn't say I don't say I wouldn't be ready but. I wouldn't be relishing this moment as much as, you know, it, it, it is a big deal, of course. Um, for me, it's, a, it, it's just another another opponent, another, you know, another warrior uh, standing over the other side of the cage. And I'm going to go in there and, um, and put him to the test and uh, certainly look to get him out of there uh, and be crowned the new hexagon world champion. The man you're fighting... Ima Gui, a fantastic fighter in his own right. Mm-hmm. He's actually the champion in another weight division. Now you're taking mm-hmm. him on for a vacant world title. Mm-hmm. What do you make of him from what you've seen? Um, I don't tend to, you know, uh, that's that's my team's uh, sort of, um, you know, res- res- I say responsibility. My my team really um, takes that upon them to to um, to study and 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 uh, and. Do a real, you know, um, real, real study of what he's good at and what he's not really good at. But as far as my uh, my personal uh, uh, perspective and and you know uh, opinion of of the guy, he's um, he's experienced. Um, he's an experienced guy. He's tough. Uh, he won't last uh, in there with me. That's that's uh, that's just how I. Uh, that's how I, uh, I envision it and uh, how I see it, you know. Uh, uh, my team at uh, Great Britain, top team, I've been there for, for the past, um, coming up to a year and a half so now. So Great Britain, top team, uh, probably the best, one of the best up-and-coming teams in the world. So coming to take over, you know. <laughs> I imagine so. I can guess that you predicted a knockout, but is there any particular method you see this going? Um... A knockout would be great. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm always expected to to go out there and uh, and get TKO victory or knockout. Uh, I'm I'm open to all angles, you know. Uh, a submission, if there's a submission there, I'll I'll be um I'll be all over that. Um, but as you said, uh, the bout starts standing up, and uh, I'm probably one of the most dangerous uh, men to to be standing up on the feet with. So throughout your entire career and your entire life, really, you've done so many amazing things from coming over to Zimbabwe to starting martial arts to amassing this amazing 16-0 record. But now you've got a shot at becoming world champion. And is this a moment that could potentially define your career? Um, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I see myself as a, as a champion, as a, as a world champion. So uh, uh, the moment just hasn't come yet. Uh, uh, it's about to, you know, it's three weeks upon upon us, and uh, we'll go in there and put out, put on a, a performance, and and uh, and yeah, it's a it's a pretty, I'd say it's a, it's a pretty defining uh, moment for my career, you know. Uh, uh, after you know, I, I went through a four fight uh, skid, and and uh, the last one uh, got me back up in there, and. Uh, Finished a top, a top, tough, tough opponent, and now I'm in for a, a, a world title shot. So uh, it's definitely, definitely, really does feel like uh, 
eyes are on me as a uh, attention myself and otherwise I won't begin an interview yourself of course right <laughs> so, absolutely so, so yeah so, I, I would like to say I'd like to say that is a that is a career defining moment for myself um and I'm gonna grab it by with all with, with everything I'm, uh, I'm prepared for been preparing for this moment for for years and uh and yes yeah, uh, certainly upon upon me well, I wish you all the luck in the world. I hope Thank that you. you put on a fantastic performance. I Absolutely. think I'm going to take your advice and do some more training because, you know, I'm yeah. sick of being beaten up by my younger brother. It's terribly embarrassing. How old is he? He's he's 20, I'm 24. So okay. back in the day, yeah. he used to be a lot smaller and it used to be very easy for me. Now uh, the pendulum has completely yeah, nah, swung nah, in his nah, favour. He needs, he needs to get, get in the gym and, um, and let him know that uh, big bro still rules the... Uh, the battlefield. <laughs> I'll tell you what I might do, Walter. I might organise a sparring session between you and him, just so you can put oh, yeah. him in his oh, place yeah. for mean, me. That'd be appreciated. If you'd like to, yeah, bring him, bring him down. I'm in South End, or I'm, I'm, I'm a GB top team. Uh, bring, bring him in, and we'll, we'll, we'll show him how it works. <laughs> absolutely, you put him in his place, Walter. Yeah, we'll show but, him how uh, it works. Absolutely, but thank you for joining me. Anyway, it's okay. deeply appreciated. And yeah. before I let you go, is there anything that you'd like to add that I perhaps haven't asked you about? Um, no, 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 really. Like, uh, um, nah, uh, camp, camp is, uh, camp has been uh, a solid camp and, um, and I'm just ready, I'll be ready to put on a, go, go over to France and, uh, and go and uh, get that belt, bring it over here to, um, to, to the UK and, uh, and yeah, shine, shine it. So we wish uh, Walter all the luck in his big uh, championship belt fight and we'll be uh, talking about it on the Sports Zone uh, in a few weeks' time. So let's talk Rugby League now, Paul. And uh, so for a Devils' first Super League game of the season, away at Lee and we're victorious, 20 points to 10. Talk us through it. Yeah, it was a tremendous um, event, Rob, to be honest with you. Friday night at Lee, I thought, you know, credit to, to, to Lee Leopards, I don't know they call them centurions, <laughs> Lee Leopards, I think they put on an amazing show um, it was re- the whole town was buzzing. I think the whole town was buzzing for for a few weeks. But the, the week leading up to the game, the, the night there was a massive crowd there of over eight eight and a half thousand. I think when have we ever seen a crowd that between Salford and Lee? Not since the nineteen eighties, I don't think. So that was a massive crowd. You know, they, they had live music, they had fireworks. It really was absolutely bouncing. I mean, for the rugby league purists like myself, I'm not really interested in that that sort of stuff. You just want to watch the match, but. You know, it was a good event to to, to go to and, and see. And, um, you know, the game didn't disappoint either. You know, Lee came out swinging early doors. They had a few chances on that left edge with Josh Chandler. They didn't take them. They eventually did get a try from Chandler. But there was a few chances that maybe they did, they, they, they should have seized, really. They sort of lack of pace out wide, really. But 4-0, Salford had to do an awful lot of defending, I thought, and defended really, really well. Um, everything that Lee threw at them, they, they soaked up and took. And then when their chances came, they took them. You know, Callum Watkins with an excellent try, a lovely pass from Brodie Croft. Um, and then the uh, the other try just before half time as well. It was um, it was Andy Ackers who, who went over it as well. So um, yeah, good to get in front. We had a good lead there at half time with twelve points to four, and it was a, it was a good first half for us. Yeah. Obviously, you know we, we talked about the pressure. It was a big, it was a big day. Obviously, Lee Leopards changing their name, changing the the identity of the club. You know, scouting for girls, all the lights, all the fireworks, all the music, big crowd on as well. And, and it, the pressure was built and built and built on Paul Rowley's men. 
we've we've been Salford fans for, for years, and it's the kind of game that usually we lose. But this time we didn't. We managed to grind the result out. So that kind of shows to me, Paul, how far this team has come and how far the club have come. That in a pressure moment they're able to deliver. Yeah, it, it, the mentality of the club's changed, Rob. For me, when we went there on, on Friday, we looked like a, a, a well-oiled Super League team that's been in challenging for playoffs for years. I know we haven't, but that's what we look like. We look like a, a real hard team, a team that's tough, a team that's hard to beat, a team that doesn't give anything away. You know, yeah, Salford teams from years ago would have rolled over there and, and let the new boys win, but we didn't. We've got that grit and that determination, that mental toughness and desire to, to not give them anything. You know, rugby league's not a charity. You know, I mean, they might be the new team, but, you know, we're not letting them letting him win you know Oliver Partington I thought came in on his debut and he just showed that that tough mentality you know coming from a, his background at Wigan where they where they where they're born winners aren't they and he's brought that into the Salford change room I think he's an excellent signing I think the, the two second row men Sam Stone Shane Wright worked the socks off and the whole team did they, they, they really did work hard and did the tough stuff and then when they got the opportunities they took them you know, they were clinical uh, and professional as well. Real professional performance, I thought. And uh, Paul Rule would be pleased with that. Yeah, it wasn't the flamboyant Salford we saw towards the back end of last season, but it didn't need to be. It needed to be a tough Salford side and a Salford side that takes the chances and takes the two points. Yeah, strong in defence, good in attack, real good balance as well. Like you said, when the pressure was on, they were able to deliver. And that's the important thing going forward for me, obviously, in this Super League season. With everything going on in the background regarding the you know the future of the sport, it's important that obviously we know how important the back what happens off the field is and, and how the club is set up now with all the you know the ladies team and the physical disability team and the men uh, you know other things that they've got set up uh, so it's important to keep winning stay towards the top of the division stay in the playoff places and continue to grow yeah I think another thing that caught the eye Rob and, and caught the people's eye on Sky I think Phil Clark mentioned it was the away support yeah I thought the away support I've been to hundreds of away games like you have over the years and I can never remember a second that many to Lee, you know, maybe a couple of hundred. I mean, the last time we won at Lee was that Thursday night in 2008 when we got soaked and I don't there was that many <laughs> yeah, there that night. And um, yeah, we packed that end. I think there was about 2,000 solvent supporters there. So yeah, yeah. that's an amazing, for, that's like a Premier League football team's following. You know, it, it really was special. And, you know, that that's what it's all about. If we can keep attracting those supporters and, and you know, getting people to go to the home. The club is, is building real momentum at the moment and there's a real feel-good factor. People are enjoying going, supporters are enjoying going, they, they're buying the tickets. You, know, you, you see it on Facebook, Twitter, people asking for more tickets. Oh, when can we get tickets? People are excited. People want to go and support the team because they're proud of the team because they're doing well. And this is a team that's not won a trophy. We've not won anything. We haven't won anything for 40-odd years. But, you know, people are excited to be part of it. And I think that's the, the good thing at the moment, the club's building. And, you know, God God help us if we win something. What, what if we won the Cup or something? We might get sell-out crowds. And you don't know. I think you could really, really take off this season. Um, I think people are dead excited on what we built last year to, to keep rebuilding it. So Thursday's a big night now against Hull KR. Um, we can turn them over. Then you, you go into Warrington then and, and take another big follow in there. So that, that's when it starts snowballing. That's what happened last season. So, mm. yeah, I'm really excited for Thursday now and, and see if we can we can carry on. Yeah, pound for pound, the best supporters in the land regarding the amount of numbers they have. But how can the club switch that round and, and get more 
people into home games. There's lots of talk, obviously. We see all the great stuff they do in the community through the Red Devils Foundation, and they've got a, a promo running where they're you know, trying to get local clubs and local schools to come to the game against Hull KR. Is it more ideas like that, or is it just, be, for me, Paul, it's more about just being consistent and continuing to do this and growing momentum? Because, obviously, a lot of ideas in the past, do it once, doesn't work, doesn't happen again. But this time, it seems the likes of Paul King and Paul Trainer have backed that horse that will keep going to the well until the horse drinks. Yeah, and, you know... You, you mentioned about the supporters and pound for pound and, and what have you. And I think if you're a Salford supporter, you don't just go to the home games. You go to all the games. Mm. And there's there's clubs in Super League where I'm not I'm not having to go at clubs, but you know some of the clubs at the, the top who get fifteen, sixteen thousand whatever every week, they don't take sixteen thousand away from home. So you, their supporters will buy a season ticket, but probably the vast majority of them just go to the home games, don't they? But I think if you're a Salford supporter. The vast majority of Salford supporters go home and away, don't they? Mm. So we might get, I don't know, two or three thousand at home, and you take taking two thousand away from home. So I think we've always had that good, that good following and that passionate following. I think Salford supporters they go because they love the club, don't they? Not because they want to see them win. I think we go because we just want to support the lads, and if we win, it's a bonus. And and that's sort of changing now. I think there's a bit of expectation there. I mean, you look at the Brody Craft situation. I watched the the repeat of it uh, on Saturday with, with my daughter and my wife was sat there and she was like, oh, is that Brody Croft? And yeah, she knew who he was and he's a star player. And I was looking at it thinking, we don't normally, have, players like Brody Croft normally play for St. Helens or Wigan, but he's playing for Salford now. And, you know, other clubs in the, the Super League must be jealous because we've got one of the, the diamonds there and this is the exciting thing. This is what gets kids involved, you know, young supporters involved because you know, we've got a real superstar playing for us among with other players. We're not just Brody. There's other players there as well. That's a Callum Watkins, Ryan Bryler. Um And that's the exciting thing about this season. We've kept the, the core from last season. We've not lost a load of players. Like 2019-20, we had Jackson Aces, but then he went, you know, he went to Wigan, we lost him. Now we've not, we've got the players. We've signed Andy Eckers on a longer deal. Jack Armour has signed a longer deal. Players want to be there. And it's, yeah, it's, it's slowly building, Rob. Yeah. Old Kingston Rovers on Thursday night at the AJ Bell Stadium. Does clash with Manchester United in their home game against Barcelona. There's only one place to be, we think, Paul. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Manchester United have had their day, haven't they? So let, let's let's yeah. I mean, I don't know if United sport. Yes, you can tape it or whatever. But obviously, you're going, you're going, aren't you? But um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a big night. It's going to be a great night. Um, it's it's a massive game for for Salford. Hull okay, had a great win at the weekend. I, I saw most of their game against Wigan. I thought they played some really good stuff to beat you know a Wigan side that we saw in that preseason friendly against us. And I remember saying to my dad at the preseason friendly, God, they they look like they take some stopping Wigan. You know, they they could be a real force. It's the pace they had out wide with the two centres, uh, Wardle and King and, and French and Marshall on the wings. Yet they've gone to Ulcar and been well beaten, really. Ulcar won quite comfortably. So that's not going to be easy for us on, on Thursday night. It should be a cracking game. Two two sides who've come off the back of good wins. Yep. Um, let's talk about Swinton Lions. They were in action on Sunday at home to Barrow and won 20 points to 18. Paul, two wins from two uh, for the Lions. Uh, the Swinton faithful will be getting giddy. Well, they made an excellent start, Rob. You know, they lost their first game against Newcastle, um, a game they probably should have won, really. Uh, and then they got away from home and had an excellent win at Battler. 
and then beat Barrow. So they've got two two wins out of three. It's a dream start. If you'd have said to the Swinton fans, you know, you win two out of your first three, they'd have bit your hand off. So um, that's a great start for them now. I, mean, I looked at some of the scores this weekend. You've got Featherstone Rovers and, and Toulouse who are just lamping everybody, aren't they, at the moment? So they're obviously going to be the front runners. But Swinton don't need to concentrate on Featherstone and Toulouse and, you know, teams like that. They need to just, you know, concentrate on winning their own games, beating the teams around them, taking each game as it comes and seeing where it takes them, seeing how many points it gets them. But, you know, to have four points in the bag already... Is a is a great start. So Barrow Barrow were a tough side last season. Um, you know that that was a, a a real hard game for for Swinton, and they come away with it and, and got the result. So that'll do the confidence, the world of good. And you know the, the friendly against Salford, I thought they, they showed glimpses in that game uh, of what they can do, and now they're building on it. So yeah, great start for them. Yeah. Alan Coleman's men were down to twelve men for twenty minutes as well. Paul it shows the character they've got in the uh, in the squad. Yeah, they've got some real character in that squad there, and um, you know, I think you know you, you're winning matches, you're building confidence, and that's that's the way to do it now. And um, you know, Swindon could be surprised package this season. You know, I'm not expecting them to compete with Featherstone and Toulouse, like I said, but you know, they can compete with the sides around them, and you know, perhaps don't worry about relegation and finishing near the bottom. You just aim high and see where it takes you. And you know, the, the crowds can build there as well at Hayward Road. They they can make that a real fortress down there. It's a tough place to go. And um, that's that's no mean feat that beating Barrow. Barrow were a good side, a well drilled side. We've been in that league for a, for a good number of years now, and um, you know they've they've achieved quite a bit. Uh, I know they lost uh, T. Ritson, didn't they? One of their best players, but um, you know that that's a good result for Swinton. I'm not sure they play next weekend. I'm sure you better tell me, but that's um, that's a real good start for them. Yeah, Whitehaven away. Uh, next game that'll be a test for them Cumbria another another winnable game though Rob I mean Whitehaven got lamped off, off Featherstone um, yeah, obviously Featherstone are a good side but I think Whitehaven are one of the, the, the favourites to sort of struggle tough place to go it always is I mean we've been there we solved it on a number of occasions and won, drawn, lost haven't we <laughs> haven't we there we've had all sorts of results so always a real difficult place to go recreation ground and you know, it's always dead windy there isn't it and uh, windswept sort of ground up there in Cumbria on the coast but no, it'll be an enjoyable trip for this Winton faithful and, and another game they can aim to win. Yeah, finally, Paul, the biggest game of the weekend. Set Ellens travelled to Australia to play Penrith in the World Club Champions. And they came away victorious in Golden Point Extra Time, beating Penrith 13 points to 12. Great result for Paul Wellens' men and obviously cementing themselves as the world champions. Typical St. Ellens, wasn't it? It was a typical St. Ellens performance. You know, they, they seem to just, that club just seemed to come up with with amazing results, don't they? At times, you think of that grand final against Wigan a few years ago when they, they got that kick through at the end and, and won and countless other games where they've, they've done that sort of, they never write off the Saints is the, uh, is the mantra really, isn't it? And, you know, they had a 20-point start on the bookies' coupon. I think they were 6-1 to one to win the game. So that that's, that's rank outsiders, that. Um, you know, and um, I think Gus Gould, the Australian, said, didn't the Australian legendary Gus Gould said that you know they would be able to declare at halftime, Penrith, huh. and how wrong was he? So, uh, so yeah, you know, I think the weather was bad, and that might have hampered Penrith a bit. But you've got to give St Helens all the credit in the world. What a great game as well. Um, I've not actually watched all of it yet. I've seen, I've seen bits of it. I was following it on my phone on Saturday morning, and I backed St Helens to win it six to one. I won nothing because it was a draw, twelve apiece after eighty minutes. So, never mind. But, uh, but no, no, great for English Rugby League as well, great for the, the Super League and, and Rugby League on a whole in England. So, um, you know, to beat Australia or anything, but no, that was a great win. Yeah, Wigan Warriors were the only English team to win uh, the World uh, Championship away. They went to Brisbane, I think, and won in the sort of mid-90s. So is this Sutherland team the best, rugby, best English Rugby League team of all time? 
Yeah, 94 Wigan didn't, did it, didn't they? Yeah. Mm. Um, do you know what? I was thinking about that the other day. I, I thought the 2006-2007 St. Helens team was good. I remember them coming to Salford and they had some fantastic players. But this, this side's got to be up there now after doing that. Um, we've seen some great sides over the years. I remember Witness beating Canberra Raiders at Old Trafford in the World Club Challenge and that's you know 30 odd years ago now and that was a great win for them. But to go to Penrith, who've won it back-to-back over there in their backyard and beat them like that, I, I think that's going to take some beating in the future. And what next for English Rugby League? You know, is it a boost for them? Do we think we could expand the tournament maybe? Yeah, possibly. I think it's great the way it is now. The champions playing the champions. I think Penrith took it serious. You know, some people say, "Oh, it's only a trial game." It's just that. This is to be world champions to call yourselves world champions. So I think they took it serious. You, you could expand it. I enjoyed it in '97 when we had that big tournament when all the teams were involved. You know, and Salford played Adelaide and um, North Queens, Queens of Cowboys. I enjoyed that, but obviously we can't really do anything like that now because of the season, um, unless there's a break or something. But I think it's great getting involved with Australian and playing Australian teams really, really exciting. Yeah, with obviously a minute to go is the dream that, that Salford one day compete in that World uh, Club Championship. Well, we should have played it. I think we should have played it in 76 when we won the league. But um, St. Helens went and played, um, I think played the Sydney Roosters, didn't they? I think, if I remember, serves me right. But I'd love to see that. I'd love to see Salford win a grand final and then go and test themselves against the Australian champs. I think every Salford supporter would love to see that. And that's the, that's a dream, isn't it, for us? Yeah, with obviously 30 seconds to go, it's, it's, it would be a massive thing. Yeah, uh, you know, before I snuff it, I'd like to see us win the Challenge Cup as well. So <laughs> I'm, not asking, I'm not asking too much, but but no, I'm excited for this season, Rob, and I'm quietly confident we can, we can make our mark on this season. Yeah, it's been amazing. Obviously, we're looking forward to all the good thing, uh, things to come on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkinson. Big thanks for tuning in. You can find us on Sports Zone on Salford City Radio on a Tuesday and on a Thursday, uh, talking all things sport in Salford. Me, Paul Whiteside, James Sweetnan, talking football, rugby, boxing, and lots and lots of sport for you to enjoy. Big thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. 